Welcome to How to Go to Work, the podcast that explores ways to get started. I'm author Lucy Clayton, and each week I'll be asking a guest to take us right back to the beginning. We'll be talking to people from all sorts of industries about how they began, how they chose their career or how it chose them, how they've met challenges or exploited chances, the times when they've been held back or inspired further. We know that even if you've had good support at home and in education, there are lots of things that no one tells you about making the transition into the workplace. It's an almost universal rite of passage, and yet it's still shrouded in mystery. And a lot of this is simply because people can forget to talk about those early moments of their career once they reach the apex of it. So for young people, it's often hard to imagine what the journey looks like to the job of your dreams. So we're going to find out from the people who have been there and done all that. And today I'm talking to Duncan Jennings. We should say we're outside in a heatwave in London, so you might be able to hear the dulcet tones of children playing and people getting hammered at the pub. He's a serial internet entrepreneur who dropped out of university to pursue what's become a lifelong love of building great teams and products that people love to use. He co-founded Voucher Codes, the largest online coupon business in Europe, helping millions of shoppers save money. And his latest venture, Hoop, is a mobile app which helps families do more together. He's done an awful lot in between all of those things, and I'm thrilled that he's here to talk to us about how to go to work. Hello. Hello. Uh, now, you started pretty early, and I want to get on to sort of founding your own company and yeah. the sort of doing that at a, a really young age. But what was your first actual job? Because you had a job before you created jobs yourself, right? That's true. I mean, I did set up a shop when I was six years old. I don't know whether that counts. <laughs> it definitely counts. Okay. For this podcast, it 100% counts. Okay. So my first, my first taste of entrepreneurship was um, looking at my stepfather and thinking that if that man could run a shop, then so could <laughs> I. Um, so I decided to set up what I think would now be called a pop-up shop. Of um, course. I was early on that. Um, in my first floor bedroom in my home in, in Newcastle, um, I copied my uh, stepfather's shop's name. Um, so it was called Clap. So it truly was like a sort of mini pop-up version of his shop. Um, and Was he supportive of this venture? Did he see it as he, a competition? He was a little concerned to begin with. Right. I think he was worried about brand damage, which if you'd been to his shop, you probably didn't need to worry too much about. It was very heavily signposted from the street, had fantastic footfall. Right. There was there was no rent or rates. My mum was very kind to me. Yeah. Um, well, you were six. I was six. And all of the stock was sourced from other rooms in the house. So, Isn't you know, that from, called stealing? I mean, from a margin perspective, it was the best <laughs> business I've ever run. And, you know, people would really, you know, they, I think they would kind of take pity on me and, and wonder what this small child was doing in his room. And so I sold a lot of things. And, and by the end of the first week, I thought it would be a good idea to uh, employ my brother to, to tend that shop because I didn't need to be there every day. Oh, wow. God, you were, you were ambitious even then. I think so. And, and you know, I, I mean, he ran that thing into the ground. Um, but <laughs> this is your older brother. My older brother, Max. Um, but, you know, luckily we ended up working together later in life and, you know, that was a bit more successful. Do you think that's more balanced now? Yeah. That so I think that was my, that was my first my first experience of, I guess you would say a job. And then I had one real job, I think, if you call it a real job. Um, yeah. I worked in a, in a deli in the kitchen, um, again in Newcastle when I was 16, um, helping prepare all the ingredients for sandwiches. Um, and I loved it. I earned two pounds 90 an hour. Mm -hmm. And um, I used that money that I earned to set up my first business. So that was my kind of my first entry into the, I guess, into the workplace. So you did that from 16 to... I did that just when I was 16 for about six months. And is that the only time you've ever had a job? That's the only time I've ever worked for anyone, yeah. Right. 
Okay. So let's... What did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a kid? I think I always knew that I wanted to do my own thing. Yeah. I didn't know what it was going to be when I was younger. And actually, I, I didn't really care too much on the industry that I went into. I just knew that I wanted it to be my thing mm -hmm. and I wanted to be in control of it. But do you think that that was something that... So you don't have an answer to... You don't have a kind of, I wanted to be an astronaut, I wanted to be a footballer. There no, wasn't I wanted that. to be an entrepreneur. You and know, whenever, you knew that really I early. I knew that early, yeah. Whenever I'd read about people setting up their own businesses or see what they had done, you know, that's that's what really excited me. And do you um, know where that came from, where that spark? I mean, you were surrounded by people who were doing unconventional careers, That's true, that's true. You know, almost everyone in my family um, was self-employed. Um, my mum had a clothing shop, um, my stepdad um, had a variety of different shops, but he hadn't you know, vintage shops and antique shops. Um, my uncle was a car dealer. My dad had a, a number of different businesses, including, a, you know, a kind of clothing business and he was an art dealer. So nobody actually had a, a proper job. Mm. Um, I didn't really know anyone who had a, a regular nine to five job. And it's not that any of those people, you know, found riches through those, you know, through those endeavors. But I think what I saw from all of them was that, um, they loved what they did and it never felt like they were going to work. You know, uh, that whole work-life balance thing never seemed relevant because it, work was such a huge part of who they were. Um, and I think that really inspired me. And I think I learned that, you know, work could be tough and the hours were long, especially when you ran your own business, but it could be a lot of fun. You know, they would come back with amazing stories. My, my mom and my stepdad would come back and they would, you know, they would spend the whole evening after they finished in their shops, they had two shops yeah. next door to each other. It sounds like a sounds bad so sitcom. Sounds so romantic. Yeah. yeah. And um, you say romantic, I say bad sitcom. <laughs> and I was living it. Um, and they would spend the whole evening talking about all the customers that came into the shop. And it was hilarious. Yeah. You know, and I learned that you can make great friends through work. And I think that, I think that probably influenced me a lot. So tell me then, you're in the deli and you're working you said you use the money that you earn then yeah. to start up. But in, in practice, what does that actually mean? Because I think there's a lot of, particularly now, there's a kind of cult of entrepreneurship and people spend yeah. a lot of time talking kind of in heroic terms about entrepreneurs, often people who probably don't deserve really, in my opinion, the title entrepreneur in the first place. Yeah. So I think it's really interesting to talk about kind of specifically what did you do to go from that sandwich filling role yeah. to what you did next? I mean, the first thing I did was get sued by Apple. So... I took that money that I earned in the deli and I registered uh, the internet name iMac before Apple did, which I thought was a great idea. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't understand why they hadn't done it. Um, and um, I made my first website. It, w it had a, a photo of an iMac on it. And it, <laughs> it, said that, it said that it was for sale. Um, which and, it was somewhere. Which it was. And, and I thought things were going pretty well. <laughs> um, I didn't have a computer at the time, so I had to do it in the library. I remember that. Um, at school or in, in town? No, in town. Yeah. And then I, um, I got a few phone calls actually to my pay-as-you-go phone that I was very impressed that I had. I felt like a real business person. And um, I got people interested in it who wanted to buy it. And then one, um, one group said they wanted to send me some more information. And um, I kind of forgot about it. And then about five days later, I remember getting home from school and my mum said, you, you know, you've got some posts. And as a kid, you don't really get no. any posts. So it was exciting. And she said I had to sign for it. I thought, wow, I've never, had any, I've never ever had anything that someone's had to sign for. And then um, I opened it up and it was a 400 page um, court manuscript um, and a sort of 
illegal summons threatening me because I'd registered Apple's trademark. Um, so that was my first entrepreneurial endeavor. Um, um, was your mother was, was she, how did she feel about that? She was, I remember her shouting up and saying, what was in, what was in that package? And me sort of saying, it's fine. It's just fine. It's all fine. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. Um, she, I mean, she couldn't say what I've been doing on the computer because I didn't have a computer. Right. So she wasn't concerned about that. She couldn't, she couldn't do any of that monitoring your activities. No, but I knew that she would be concerned. <laughs> so I gave the name back without a fight, which I regret to this day mm. because realistically, Apple were never going to take a 16 year old to court. It wouldn't have been good for them. It's not no, a good look. No, and I probably, it's probably where it started my lifelong, um, let's say I haven't had a love affair with lawyers. <laughs> Um, because if Apple had just offered me an iMac, I would have been the happiest 16 year old in the world. Um, but instead I gave the name back, but I learned some really important lessons and I actually ended up taking that experience and using it to set up my first proper business, which was, um, helping all sorts of companies register their internet names. And that was the first company I set up called Net2. Okay. So you've got your deli money. Got my deli money. You needed a computer. Yeah. Got a computer. With the deli money. Yeah. And then that's the first idea, which you started big on, but then... <laughs> there was an initial wobble. knock. There was a wobble. There was a knock. Um, would you do that? You wouldn't give it back today. Well, I might give it back today because I've got more to lose. But, <laughs> but certainly when you're 16 or, or, or when you're starting out, one of the things that you don't realise at the time is that you should really be fearless. Yeah. Because you don't actually... The fact that you don't have much is actually a huge advantage. Yeah. Um. And I kind of realized that as I, as I got a bit older. So that first company then, so how old are you now? So I was 16 when I set that up. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and tell me a bit about that because you're still in school. Yeah, so I'm still So that's reasonably school. challenging. Yeah. I was doing my, um, I think I was at the end of my GCSE, starting my A-levels. Um, and I, um, I wrote to um, every company that I could find in Newcastle in the Yellow Pages, explaining to them, this is back in 1998, why they should um, register their their internet domain name. Um, now, that was quite early in the UK. Um, so I didn't get an amazing response, right. but I certainly sent out a lot of letters. <laughs> but I got a few and a few was enough to make me realize that I was onto something. Okay. And then I went from that to thinking about how could I find other people who might want to register their name. Mm-hmm. And that's when I got into Google and trying to find people through Google. And a lot of my career was around um, internet marketing and, and understanding how you could get traffic for your websites through you know, services like Google. Uh, it's reasonably challenging running a business while you're also at school, I'm assuming, unless you did no schoolwork. No, I used to do a lot of schoolwork. Um, it, was, it was quite challenging. Um, but then when you think about it, you, you do have quite a lot of time in the evenings. Um, <laughs> you finish quite early when you're at school, don't you? Mid-afternoon. Um, but I... I I had a I had a mobile phone at school and that got confiscated quite a lot, um, and it was quite an unusual thing to have uh, back in the back in the nineties in Newcastle. Um, so I remember that, but I did have some really supportive teachers who got a real kick out of the fact that I was doing it, and um, and that was really wonderful. But I remember answering, you know, getting home and answering emails and getting up early in the morning and doing the same thing, and um, you know, at lunchtime trying to help people register names and, you know, it was frantic, but I really, I kind of thrived on that. So in 1998, to contextualize, I think it's really hard for us to remember what that was like, but, you know, certainly 
in that time, I'm on a dial-up connection in a school library. Yeah. We certainly don't have, no one's got walking around with email on a phone. This is early enough that, in fact, if you had a website, if a company had a website, it was pretty, it was kind of an was impressive awful. thing, right? Yeah. Oh, it was terrible it to was, look at. It had things flashing on it. Maybe had one of those little in the construction diggers. <laughs> You know, it was, I mean, it was, it was early. This was, especially in the UK, this was really early. Because I think that's quite hard for young people now to imagine what that landscape looked like and sort of starting to do a a thing which now seems so entirely obvious. Yes. Is a really, it's quite a kind of, it requires a leap of imagination, I think, to go back to that time. I, I think I was incredibly fortunate because, you know, I started my entrepreneurial career at the point at which the internet was taking off. Right. Um, I had no idea how big it was going to be. I mean, nobody really did. Um, but it was it was so, you know, incredibly lucky that I started at that point. But you must have had enough of an idea to know that it was worthy of spending, you know, you've got a limited, like the Delhi budget is not unlimited. Yeah. This is not like a flashy investor situation. No. So you had- There was en- no venture capital in the no- at that point. <laughs> so it was enough, you had enough foresight to know that it was an industry that was, well, it wasn't even an industry really then, but you know, there was about an area that was about to blossom and therefore was worthy of attention early on. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think one of the main things that I realized, even from that initial um, issue with, with Apple, was that it was so empowering that you could be a kid in your bedroom in Newcastle who knew nobody and knew nothing about business and had no contacts, no network. And actually the internet brought down all those traditional barriers that you might get to setting up. Um, and I realized that early that this was, this was something that I could do wherever I was. And if I developed the skills and the expertise, I could create something um, without needing to have 10 years experience or lots of money in the bank. And, and, and the internet was so incredibly um, empowering for entrepreneurs because of that. How do you think that's changed now? If you, because I think that's a re- you know, it's difficult, isn't it? Yeah. All of the things you've just said are technically still true. Yeah. But it's a so much busier space. I think you're right. Look, you know, we're now, you know, over 20 years on from that point. When I told people I was setting up an internet company or, or told them that's what I did, you know, people would kind of look at you with a sense of pity. Like you're going to spend the rest of your life as a nerd. Yeah. I mean, it was not cool. No. Um, now everybody wants to get into tech. You know, apart from the fact that every single, you know, MBA that would have gone to work at Goldman Sachs as chasing the tech dream. You've got actors like Ashton Kutcher, you know, who've set up a, you know, a VC firm. You've got basketball players doing tech investments and setting up their own businesses. Even Ja Rule's got a tech play. <laughs> you know, everybody's chasing the tech dream. Yeah. So it's much, much more competitive than it was when I started. But the opportunity is much bigger. Mm. You know, back in 1998, e-commerce was probably less than $10 billion a year. Now it's over $3 trillion. Mm. So... It's such a big, big opportunity that you can get into. And the other thing that I would say is that I'm actually always amazed by how often, um, you know, graduates that I meet who are, who are looking to get into tech, I think a lot of the time they don't always recognize quite how mainstream it is. Yeah. Uh, which Even I find, now, which, which is I find insane. fascinating. You know, what, if I ask someone, um, you know, why do you want to work at this business, you know, a tech company, a lot of the time they'll say, um, well, you know, I think the internet's the future. And, you know, four of the five largest companies in the world are internet companies. I think we can safely say that we're there. People don't still say that to you in an interview. Are you kidding? The the one thing I would say is that even though we are there and even though it's a much more mature market than it was when I set up, 
that doesn't mean that there isn't a huge amount of opportunity. You know, I remember back in 2005 when we got our office in Old Street, we honestly thought we were the last person to get an office in Old Street. Right. Like we, we thought we were so late to the party. Yeah. And I think you always, when you're in it, you always feel like you're late. Sure. But the reality is there's always so much further to go. And, you know, one of the things I would say is that the pace of change in technology is, it's accelerating. So there's always new platforms coming around that offer the same opportunity that the internet did when we started. Right. Um, so then if you're starting out and you're young and ambitious, you, I guess the emphasis would be to find the, that always to be sort of looking for the new frontier as opposed to... I think, I think that's where a lot of the biggest opportunity is. Because w- when I started out, what was amazing was that I had a lot of time on my hands, very few friends, very few social activities. <laughs> so, you know, I could actually become a world expert in something like internet marketing from my bedroom because people didn't have 20 years experience of it. Uh, there's two things though in in that equation. One is the, you know, the geek model sitting in your bedroom for hours becoming yeah. an expert. And the other is the fact that it's a new industry and therefore you're not. And actually the, the first point is relevant regardless of what industry it you're is. in. And regardless of if you're yeah. prepared to put in, uh, the amazing thing now is that you can become an expert pretty much in anything yeah. from your bedroom if you are prepared to learn it. Yeah, I mean, I think the I think the resources that are available, and the amount of time that some of the world's best people in whatever you're interested in, design, engineering, um, marketing, you know, that they put into communicating how they have got to where exactly. they are. Exactly, the access to that information it, it's just incredible. didn't used to exist, it's and incredible. so that's really liberating, especially if you're starting out in a you know geographically distant you know isolated space if you are coming from a background where you aren't super connected it, it has to take those barriers that you talked about coming down are still that's still really true even in really established industries yeah completely and i think one of the things i would say is that if you're you know if you're starting out and say if you whether you decide to set up your own business or you decide to go and work for someone you know take responsibility for your own learning and development. Yes, you want to work at a company where, you know, they invest in you and hopefully they'll send you on training courses and hopefully they'll, you know, the people within that business will spend time with you. But, you know, you can take it on yourself to develop. And a lot of the best people that I've worked with have done that and they've spent their own time because they recognize that, you know, they're investing in themselves and the access to information is just incredible now. And do you think that, Speaking as an employer, as opposed to an entrepreneur for a minute, do you think that it's really obvious as you look across that office, and you've employed a lot of people over the years and still do, the ones that are doing that on a sort of regular basis or the ones that are kind of waiting to be sent on the course? (laughs) Do you think you can tell on an average Wednesday? Yes, you can tell. And, you know, I think one of the things we look at when we try and hire people is, if you take a graduate, you know, they're very unlikely to have any of the, you know, practical business experience that they need for the role that you're hiring them for. That's completely understandable. So one of the things we look for is, have they been able to demonstrate a real passion for something and an ability to really get into something? I don't care if it's skiing, Game of Thrones, whatever it is. I want someone who goes deep on something Mm -hmm. because if they've never really got into anything, why would they suddenly get into your thing? Right. And I think that's, you know, that's what you're looking for. And, and I've seen people get, you know, incredibly like just so passionate about 
you know, discounting when we had voucher codes or family activities. I've seen people obsess over these things. And mm -hmm. when you see that, it's so wonderful because it's your baby. Mm -hmm. And these people that you've brought in, you know, they're more passionate about it than you are sometimes. Yeah. And that's, that's a really incredible thing to see. But going back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, sort of what's it like now in the landscape? Yeah there are always these new opportunities. And I think you want to be doing something where when you, especially if you want to set up your own thing, I think you want to be doing something where when you tell people about what you're doing, they're kind of not quite sure about it. Because if, if everyone thinks it's a great idea and yep, it's a solid, you know, safe thing, there's probably other people already on it. Yeah. You know, I think about cryptocurrency, which, you know, has had a huge amount of positive and negative attention. Mm -hmm. But if five years ago you'd said, oh, I'm dropping out of, you know, I'm dropping out of university, I'm, I'm going to mine Bitcoin. I mean, people would have looked at you like you were yeah. crazy. Yeah. And your parents would have been livid. Uh, I mean, crazy. Yeah. But the reality is those people did incredibly well. Yeah. And they were at the start of something. And it always looks a little bit crazy at the start. <laughs> right. You know, if you think about think about some of the greatest companies that have come out in the last 10 years, Airbnb, what, you're going to rent rooms out. You're going to let people stay in your house. I mean, madness. A lot of people thought they were crazy. Mm. You know, Uber, it seems obvious now. It didn't seem obvious at the time. No. Um, you know, Snapchat, again, it's like, can you really build a, you know, a, a, a multi, multi-billion dollar business based on that? And I think that's that's really exciting. And if you're, if you're young and getting started, you want to go into an area where there's really quite a high degree of risk because that will keep out the more experienced people. Right. You know, once people get, you know, a little bit older and they've got commitments, you know, it's understandable. You don't actually want to be in an area where there's a decent chance it could not work out. Right. So you, that's where you want to play. Yeah. Well, because as you said, when you've got less to lose at the beginning, you also have a, a period of freedom where, how bad can it be? I mean, I didn't appreciate that. No, but you know, I think it's. I think that's really hard to appreciate in the moment. It's one of those things that people say to you and it's incredibly hard until you live through it. But it's exactly the same as people say, you know, you should, you know, <laughs> my, my aunt told me that I should have worn a bikini every day in my 20s. Because yeah. like when you're 60, you're right. just like, why wasn't I in a bikini? Yeah, it's exactly the same psychology. Take, take, you know, take, take risks early in your career. Yeah. Um, the, the worst that can happen is really quite low. And one of the, just one of the things that I think is really different now is that if you set up a you know a technology business now, um, and it's 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 a risk, but it's also a, it, there's a safety net that exists, which is great, but can also make it really hard to stick out of business. The reality now is if you set up a company and um, you know a technology business, and it's not quite working out but you get some traction. The Probably the worst thing that'll happen is you'll be able to go and get a job at, a, at mm. one of the great big tech companies. Um, which is not a disaster. Which is not a disaster. I think one of the hard things is that those companies are so incredibly profitable. You know, they just have uh, business models that are better than anything we've seen before. Once you get into somewhere like that, you are in this golden cage and it's very hard to get out. Um, Especially and, by the time you've bought the house and you've got the mortgage yeah, and you've, yeah. And, and it's just, you know, it, being an entrepreneur is really, really hard. So if you decide to do it, you're probably going to see friends who are going to work at Google, at Facebook, and you're going to go and visit them. And you're going <laughs> to, you know, people talk about the food. 
People talk about free food. Look, I had free food at school. It's not that kind of food. I mean, it's better than Soho House. It's yeah. like being in a five-star hotel. So you're going to have to put up with the fact that some of your peers have this, what looks like this incredible life. Yeah. Um, and you're going to have to kind of work through that because it's going to be so hard. But you have to know that, you know, doing your own thing and that sense of achievement with you and your team, when you really create something and you know you're directly responsible for everything that happens, you know, it's radically different. Mm. Uh, and I actually think that's one of the things that can be quite hard to understand for people going into the workforce because, you know, I'm the biggest fan of, you know, companies like Google, but they've done a good job of positioning themselves almost as though they're still a star. Yeah. You know, people still feel like there's that energy and that's because they've done a good job on culture and marketing. Yeah. But Google has over a hundred thousand employees. It is not a startup. No. You know, I've got friends who've gone and worked there and spend a month on a button on a website because it's a very big company. Yeah. And so you just need so to you're recognize that. So a tiny, that. tiny role in an enormous organization. And that's not going to feel what you, it's not going to be as buzzy. It's not going to be, you're going to also to your point, to that point, you're going to do less. And I think one of the really important things at the beginning of your career is that wherever you position yourself in that, those first few roles is that you're actually getting shit done on a day-to-day -day basis. It's really possible to be there you are with all this new energy and ready to go for it and actually what if you look at what you've actually physically done in a month and it's nothing yeah. that's a really demoralizing position at the time at which you've got all the energy and all the time and all the enthusiasm it's why i always say to people it's much better to be in a smaller company with a less flashy job title than it is to be the other way around because you'll actually be muscularly doing something i think you're completely right and i think one of the things that people like underestimate sometimes is, you know, how unimportant the role or the title is when you go into a startup or a small business. And I understand that because you're looking at it and you're thinking, well, what am I going to do? And what's the job spec? You really need to focus on what the company is doing and who the founders are. Because if you go into a startup, there are constantly new jobs being created, yeah. new, responsibilities being, new responsibilities being created. And if you're smart and you work hard, good founders, they will find the right thing for you to be doing and they'll work with you on that. So I'd always say, you know, really do your research on the company and the founders and don't worry too much about the role. And conversely, in a much bigger, more established firm, once you're hired for the role, you're hired for the role. I mean, there's always some flexibility. You can worm your way out or you can spy an opportunity somewhere, but that's going to be about kind of sharking it as opposed to, in a, in a big organization, they've got roles to fill, they need bums on seats. And once you've, especially if you've been recruited in with a big recruitment fee, you will find it much harder to have flexibility over what you're doing day to day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things I always find fascinating is, you know, when people, especially bigger companies, when they hire, you know, they use a recruitment firm and they'll try and, I mean, they'll try and hire someone who has the exact experience they need for the role. Yeah. Now, I know that seems really obvious, that that's logically what you would do. But whenever we've been hiring for people with experience, and actually we hire a huge amount of graduates who have no experience, but certain roles where you obviously do need a level of experience, we're always looking for people where it's a step up. We're always looking for people where they've demonstrated some of the core skills you would need to do the role. But I don't need you to have actually done the exact mm. role. 
Because if you've done the exact role somewhere else, I'm wondering why you want to do it for me. Right. And I'm wondering why, where the growth comes in. Yeah. But the problem is if you're a bigger company and you're a hiring manager, there's a risk to doing that. Because if it doesn't work out that high, then someone says to you, well, why didn't you, that person you has not the, the right guy. experience. Yeah, yeah. But I've always found that's how you get people who, you know, are really motivated. And also just, I always want to try and understand why would someone want to come and work for us? Mm -hmm. And if you're giving them a new opportunity that they didn't have before, I just think that makes a lot more sense. Okay, so let's talk a little bit then about, so if I was coming to interview with you, what, yeah. what would I need to do or demonstrate to be impressive and interesting as a candidate? I think one of the first things is that I like it when people spend some real time trying to understand what the company or the product is doing. And I mean, if I said to someone, you know, how many hours did you spend you know, looking into the, the company or, 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 or the product. I don't think many people would say they spent over eight hours. Okay. And I think what's fascinating is that your first day, you're going to spend eight hours in that business. Right. And in the first six months, you'll probably spend almost a thousand hours. So- Wouldn't you want- <laughs> It's really worth you spending time looking into the company because you're going to give it a lot of your time and a lot of your life. Um, and also- it's significantly more likely you're going to get the job if you can demonstrate that you really understand the product. Or you might, in the course of that research, think there is absolutely no way I want to do this with my time. Completely. In which case, why wouldn't you discover it before you went for the Completely. interview? Completely. So don't, you know, just go on the website and click on the about page. You know, use the product if you can. Get Ask friends what they think about it. I've, I've always liked it when people have come in and they've, they've almost done like a little focus group with right. friends and they've come with some feedback, you know, some good and some bad. Something that tells me that they actually have thought about where they're going to work. I really like that. Um, one of the other things I like to look at is, if it's especially if it's a graduate, I mean, this is only really relevant for graduates. Mm -hmm. I like to see some really just practical things they've done recently. So obviously if you're, if you're hiring graduates in London, you know, they're moving to London and they're probably trying to find somewhere to live. So we always ask them, you know, how'd you find, you know, finding your first place in London? And it's amazing the, the sort of breadth of responses you get to that. Because actually, it's not really hard finding a place in London, but it's not super easy. You have to be right. willing to compromise. Yeah. You have to be willing to make a decision quickly. Yeah. Um, hearing how positive they are about the experience is really interesting or how much of a nightmare they describe it as. Because I think- uh, Because who, are you judging that based on their sort of outlook generally? Yeah, I think it gives you a window into their outlook. Similarly, you know, I always like it if someone's- had a job that, you know, let's say it's not super glamorous. So it could be, you know, doing admin somewhere. Or it could be, you know, working, you know, in a restaurant or a bar, you know, just, you know, something that's involved working with the public, which is, you know, I just think that's such great experience. And when you hear people who find so much positivity in, you know, quite challenging situations, I think you know, that's what you're looking for. Because actually, you know, a lot of what any job is, is not amazing. You know, so you again, this is something that we we talk about in the book and I think is really important. It doesn't matter what it looks like on paper or how much you love the people or you love the culture and you love the, love the whole idea, right? All of that's great. Even then, a portion of your job will be stuff that you don't really enjoy doing because it's it will be administrative yeah. or it will be just the stuff that doesn't excite you as much. There is always that portion. The luckier you are, the harder you work, the, that portion gets smaller, but it doesn't matter whether it's your name above the door or it's not. We all have those, those hours that you have to fill with that stuff. And one of the things I think is interesting about your point about the kind of the jobs that may not look relevant. So I had an, a conversation with a, a girl at a Somerset House 
um, kind of mentoring thing recently yeah. and she wanted us to look at her CV and she said, I feel I feel like a lot of this is, you know, really irrelevant. And she was using the word irrelevant for code for I'm embarrassed for the, like basically the work experience I've got to date. Right. And it was stuff like she'd worked on the HMS Victory as a... Um, a, a, basically a tour guide on a Saturday throughout her. I and love I, that experience. And she showed her, it to me and I went, okay, I know what you mean by irrelevant and I just need you to know it is not irrelevant. Like I, And I wasn't going to humiliate her by saying, I know you're mortified about the HMS victory thing, but I was just like, I bloody love the HMS victory. I think that would be amazing. So I think not ever being embarrassed about the however tenuous it might seem and I think it can be intimidating when you're talking to you know an exciting flashy new company you might think that your Saturday job in your hometown might not kind of be might not it might feel like low rent in comparison but actually I think we see it as employers I think we see it totally the other way around yeah I love you know I I love jobs like that where one it it gives someone a sense of reality of just what the workplace is like. Now, obviously you hope it's going to be better in your company and you hope that you're going to be able to give them a role that is more exciting, that they can get more passionate about. But it is at least a window into what work is like. And and actually that is hugely valuable. Just turning up and doing the hours. What's a little scary is when you look at a CV and you see um, work experience at Warner Brothers and, you know, all of the things that they have done are incredible. I'm looking at some of these CVs thinking, I mean, I'd like to go and do those things. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, and the reality is that most, you know, entry-level jobs are not going to be that exciting. You know, it doesn't mean that they can't be evolve into that, but there's going to be a level of repetition. I mean, there is even when you get to a really senior level in a business. I mean, look at CEOs who run public companies. I mean, they hate having to do all the shareholder stuff. There's always things you don't like. Of course. So I think, you know, a little bit of a kind of reality check of being grounded in what, you know, kind of some of the, some of the tough parts about work is a really great, you know, really great experience. And I think when you're starting out, it's quite hard to know the difference between how that plays out when it's your eyes looking at that written down on a piece of paper versus that, you know, it's hard to get work experience at, the, at cool places. And so I understand why it's a desirable thing to do. Completely. And I, and I don't want to discount that. It's, no. If you manage to get one of those positions, like if you've, if you've actually got it through, you know, um, your own, you know, just persistence, that's, that's a really great thing. But would you agree that because I think if I'm looking at two candidates and one of them has a really n- totally normal Saturday job that they've done for a year and a half while they're in sixth form or whatever, yeah. um, and one of them has has done, you know, I've seen this before on CVs where it's like, well, I've done, you know, two weeks work experience at a publishing house. I've done two weeks work experience at a magazine. I've done two weeks work experience at a fashion brand. And I'm just like, well, that's just touring, interesting. That's just yeah. like you're a tourist, basically. Yeah. And I... I think you've of those two candidates, one might on paper appear more presentable, but for me, I think the emphasis would be entirely on the other one. Completely. I mean, it would depend on the role I was hiring for, because if there was someone who, you know, I thought needed to be incredibly good at networking and managing their kind of their way to shock their way into places, sure. I might find that interesting. But as a general rule, yes, I would completely yeah. agree with you. I think the exception is where someone can say that they've managed to get a position through some sort of exceptional work. Yeah. Because that is interesting, but that's generally not the rule when you see people with those kind of immaculate experiences. Yeah. 
Okay, so university dropout is a nice, nice little <laughs> title there. Do you want to tell me a bit about that? Well, I did my first year at university, and I think I did a few months after that. And um, I, I'd set up a business um, while I was at school, and I continued that while I was at university. And it just got to the point where the business was going really quite well. And so I went to see my, um, I think it was my tutor or the, the head of the business school at the time, and um, and explained to them how things were going and that I was thinking of taking a year a year out. And, and he said, honestly, I wouldn't come back, <laughs> which was actually great advice. It was really good and advice. I was quite surprised. Um, so I left um, university when I was 19 and um, I was at Leeds and I moved down to London. And, um, and from that point on, I just... You know, I grew that business, um, which was the um, domain registration and hosting company to around 10,000 customers. And then I sold that and, and, and set up a number of different businesses um, until I got to the point where we, we set up voucher codes, um, which was, you know, definitely one of the most important things that I've done. So you sold your first company when you were? Um, I was probably around maybe 23, something like that. But by that point, VoucherCos was already an idea that you were working no, on. No, that, that, that came later. So I had a, um, an online marketing business, which we built up. We had a hotel review business, which we um, sold to um, TripAdvisor. We had a, um, a local review business, which was like a Yelp. And we sold that to um, Global Radio. And then we um, set up um, voucher codes. And the we at this point, talk a little bit about your team. Because yeah, the we is um, my brother, Max. He'd finished running the, the shop upstairs. Yeah, yeah, he got another chance. <laughs> um, my best friend, Rich. And then, you know, a bunch of other people who had been with us from the early days of, of us starting up in London. Um, and they were people that we'd hired as, as graduates, like Dan, who's now the CEO of Hoop. Um, Antonio, who runs uh, privacy.co, who's another business I'm involved with, JP. Um, there were people that we'd known for, for a long time. And how important is that to you, having that core team who sort of stays with you project by project and company by company? It's incredibly important. I mean, I think, you know, that's a, a huge part of why we were successful. Um, I'm an investor now in, you know, a bunch of early stage internet companies. And the one thing I really underestimated is just how hard people find like recruitment and retention and just everything to do with people. You know, that's, that's what kills, you know, a lot of businesses. Mm. And to a certain extent, particularly in those early days where you needed less bodies and you just had a core team, yeah. you were able to not spend time and energy on that because you had a bunch of people who you really trusted. Yeah. And we always, we just always really believed that, um, you could develop people really quickly if you hired the right people. Um, and that's something that we, you know, we really got right. I think at voucher codes, you know, we didn't get everything right, but we got that right. Um, to the extent where, you know, someone who we hired as a graduate, um, a lady called Harriet, you know, she now runs that business and there's, you know, almost a hundred people working for it. Yeah. Um, so we really, you know, we saw how quickly you could develop people. If you gave them the right support and responsibility, you know, they could go on and do amazing things. Which makes it a great place to work when you're starting out, because of course you arrive with very little experience and very quickly that's converted into 
a whole bunch of other skills. And But how do you think if you were starting out as as someone who wanted to be in that space and you're applying for jobs, how do you, how, culturally, how do you assess that, do you think, in an interview process? Because it's really easy to talk about the culture of a business if you, A, create it or be a really, you know, very much a part of it. But from the outside looking in, it's sometimes quite hard to judge those things. What do you think the key things are to watch out for? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I think, I mean, I think one of the things is, you know, try and understand what the atmosphere feels like when you walk into an office. So I think you can pick up a lot the first time you visit a company. I can understand if you're applying for jobs, you know, it must be so intimidating and going through multiple interview stages, you know, it's really quite tough. But the more time you spend in a company, it's also, yes, it's someone judging you, but it's your opportunity to judge the company and understand if it feels right for you. Um, So I think that's a good window in. Um, I think, you know, asking the company to talk through some, talk through some examples of people that have joined, you know, as a graduate and what they've done, like what, what does a path look like and get them to talk through some real tangible examples um, of people who joined a year ago, people who were in the team, you know, that's, what's interesting to hear. And that gives you a sense of how they, you know, how they view, you know, young graduates and what they're willing to do for them, what the culture's like. And the timeframe of how you might develop. Yeah. It's also a good question anyway, because it, suggests that you're interested in progress and growth yes, and, absolutely. and you're keen. Yeah. <laughs> I think keenness is something that sometimes we shy away from demonstrating. Yeah. I mean, I think, which is I, insane. I've, I've already said this, but I think coming with questions is so important. Mm. You know, people are, I think it's, it's so impressive when someone has genuinely spent time trying to understand the business and the product and comes with questions. I don't think anyone will ever think you've asked a stupid question. I was going to ask you that, or be, or, or maybe be offended. I think, particularly if you're being interviewed in, and the founders in the room, I think sometimes people might feel cowed by that, or or nervous that they might say something that might offend people. But do you think it's almost impossible to have? If I mean, I think if you're, the, if you're the sort of founder who gets offended because someone doesn't say something, you know, that you like about your product or your service, then you don't want to. You've got to ask yourself what you're doing. Yeah. Um, I think that's really, you know that's really useful feedback. So I'm, I love it when someone, you know, says something, even if it is negative, it's just great to find out. Okay. So from where we're in voucher codes, you're building that business yeah. and what happens next? So voucher codes happened really quickly. We set it up in um, 2008 in the heart of the recession and we built it over three years into the, the largest um, digital coupon business in Europe. And then we, we sold it in 2011 um, to the largest digital coupon business in America. And, and they put the two businesses together. Um, and then myself and the whole team, we stayed part of the business. Um, and then in 2013, um, the parent company, Retail Me Not, IPO'd on the NASDAQ, which was an incredible thing to be part of because it was you know really fulfilling like a, a lifetime dream. And doing it in such a short space of time, it was just such a roller coaster. And again, culture is a thing that people say a lot and it's really hard to understand what the definition of that is. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of, pe- a lot of um, people use that word as a sort of catch-all term without really in any way demonstrating it. When you're having a period of growth like that, when you're a startup anyway, so there's already a kind of pressure and a sort of microcosmic atmosphere, I guess. Um, culturally, 
it's really important to you in any business, isn't it, what that looks like and how people feel about the way they work. But when you're undergoing a process like that, where it is, you know, it's high pressure, it's, like, it's not all just, you know, um, you know, you're just tripping over the dollars at this point. This is, it's, it's, there's graft involved. Yeah. Um, how did that feel then at that point, I guess, at the apex of that, that kind of triumphant moment for everyone, not, not just for you, but for the team? It's one of the few times in my life where it wasn't an anticlimax. <laughs> you know, when you finish your exams or when you, you know, you, you think something's gonna, you know, you think something's gonna be incredible and then at the end of it, it's kind of, it's like, it's, it's done. With that, it, it was genuinely, genuinely an, an amazing moment. And I think seeing, I think it's because, you know, every single person in the company had shares in the business. And, you know, back then there hadn't been a lot of, you know, UK businesses that had gone or had been part of that whole kind of going public story. It mm -hmm. happened a lot in America, but it hadn't happened so much in the UK. Um, so it was amazing that everyone got to benefit from it. And, you know, I was just so proud of what everyone had managed to achieve. Um, one of the things that I loved about the process of being part of a, of a bigger business was that, you know, we'd hired a, a ton of, you know, graduates and we developed them through the business. And a lot of them were in senior positions or running the business. And, you know, seeing them in a room with our, um, you know, American counterparts and just seeing them own the room, you know, with people who are a lot more experienced yeah. than them, I was so proud of them. And that, giving them that experience, you know, to, for them to be able to go over to Austin and for them to be able to see what it was like being part of a bigger business, that was really, really rewarding. I think that was the thing that I took a, away from it the most. It's a lot of mythology around working for yourself, I think, and not a lot of it really probably actually mirrors up with the reality what are your thoughts if if i'm if i'm a young person starting out and i'm thinking actually as you did i really want to do this myself what are the words of advice or caution what are the key things that you need to know before you leap into that path i think elon musk said something like it's like chewing glass while staring into the abyss <laughs> yikes and uh, i'm probably misquoting him there but um i think you get these just incredible highs that it's impossible to experience almost, you know, doing anything else. Um, because y you look around and you, you've created something or with your team and that's just the most incredible feeling. But at the same time, you know, it's a roller coaster, and, you know, sometimes it can be so challenging. And I think that's the bit that's probably not written about enough. Um, you know, especially in tech, it was a huge amount of success bias. Um, mm. you know, I, I felt, you know, guilty of this way. You, you, you're always looking at what someone else is doing because so much is written about tech companies. I mean, I don't think so much is written about, you know, oil companies or logistics <laughs> companies or no. plant companies, you know, but tech is just written about and, and kind of fantasized so much. Um, and the reality is that, you know, every company even the really big ones are constantly fighting fires. And I wish I'd understood that more because sometimes when you're in it, you just think, you know, why am I having so many issues? But the reality is everyone, everyone is. is. Right. And that's probably why I'd say, you know, it is a good idea to have a, a mentor. Um, I didn't ever have one, but I, I think I would have really benefited from mm. just someone with more experience. And actually, you know, the business that um, bought voucher codes, um, the CEO there, Cotter, you know, he probably didn't expect to be a mentor, but he ended up being a mentor yeah. to me. And he, he had so much more experience that I really benefited working from him. Mm -hmm.
He could just give me a sense of context. You know, I would always find all the issues in something. And he would kind of, you know, just sort of look at me and laugh and say, I think you got to focus on the things that you can actually change. (laughs) You know, and I remember that. Yeah. I think that's the thing. Sometimes your mentors don't come, they don't come in a box, you know, you don't order them and they don't arrive and you don't unwrap them and you're like, this is this perfect relationship. Quite often it's a surprising source or it's not what you expected. And I think you've got to, and also it might not last forever, but you've got to kind of take those moments when they come and, and, and learn as much as you can in those moments I think yes I completely agree um I think again mentor is like a not that helpful word because it feels like it's something that you kind of request or you find or and that's not how it works really in the real world okay so uh working with family so you have always worked with your brother yes how does that work and what would be your top tips for a lot of people start out working kind of within a family business or so there's the kind of that end of the spectrum but then there's the partnership that you guys have what are your thoughts on advice for working with family I think if you're working with your family and with your friends you just have to be comfortable with the idea that you're probably not going to be able to go to a you know a family barbecue and it not come up you know I, I was comfortable with the idea that work would always be on the table and it would always be something that would potentially be there. Um, I think if you need that separation, um, if you need to be able to leave the office and talk to your family and talk to your friends that you work with and not feel like it's it's going to be on the agenda, then you probably shouldn't do it. Okay. But do you think the benefits of, you know, that sort of, that extra layer of trust and all of those, the things that are sort of talked about do they, are they do they outweigh the inconvenience i guess of having everything close like that it has for me i think if you're able to work every day on something that you love with people that you love i mean i can't really think of a better thing to do uh, what do you know now that you wish you'd known when you were younger i think i think the main thing is um to cherish what you have and not always be looking at the next thing i was too guilty of always thinking there was something better around the corner. And, you know, I'd set up and sold four businesses by the time I was 30. And, you know, any one of those businesses were enough. So when you find something that you love, don't worry about what other people are doing. You know, stay focused on it. I think that's that's probably the greatest learning I've had. Duncan Jennings, thank you for having this conversation with me today. I know it's going to inspire and excite so many of our listeners. And if you're listening and you enjoyed all this, then don't forget that the book, How to Go to Work, is published by Penguin. The link's in our show notes. So if you're interested in further reading, do check that out. Please subscribe and review this episode. It really helps new listeners to find us. And if you know someone who's making decisions about who and what they want to be as they enter the world of work, do recommend this project. We're all doing it because we really think we can help people feel more confident and more prepared by sharing the essential advice no one ever tells you as you start your career. Thank you for listening and thank you to Mark, our editor. Join me, Lucy Clayton, next time for another honest and unvarnished conversation about how to go to work.